thanks for um, <sighs> coming along to the Green Element podcast and talking no about problem. what you're doing and what you're up to. And just, mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be good to learn more about Ad Green and kind of where you see it going, what you see um, it moving into and what you need, you know, in order to make it happen as well. Like, is there stuff that uh, would be really useful for you? And understanding how it all fits together within the advertising and marketing it is advertising marketing industry it's pretty much just advertising really in terms right. of, and it's really only the production side of that um <clears throat> although we have done some work on sort of the content side of things as well um but yeah it is predominantly production predominantly at the moment sort of guidelines for production companies to use and agencies that are sort of more involved in the production side of things, so TV department. And really at this point, it's a set of guidelines and it's it's a case of production teams doing what they feel they can do. There isn't really any stipulation that they have to do it. It's mainly those who are more interested for one reason or another. And it's kind of been driven, or it was being driven a long time for a long time by freelance production people who felt they could go in and make those changes. And they were sort of like... You're sort of spreading the word, I suppose, because, you know, you're doing a short two-week contract and then you move on to another company and you take that sort of lesson or skill or, or experience with you and sort of pass it on to the next company. So that kind of helped us spread the word quite quickly as opposed to sort of converting each production company one by one. Um, people sort of got round quite quick, so that was good. I would say we're definitely in a kind of, we're in a good place with phase one, if you like, um, in terms of there's a lot of awareness of what we're doing, but there isn't as much action as we might like. And there's no kind of standardization of what's expected it's really kind of optional and however much you think you can do or what you feel is appropriate or what you're happy to ask the client to sort of you know talk about or do or you know so it is quite very optional Mm. not quite optional very optional um (laughs) (laughs) do you think that comes down to cost do you think that's largely down to cost of the client not paying for it or i think it comes down to the myth of cost um and personally you know, I was a production manager myself for a long time, um, now head of production. And I don't think anything that's currently easy to do costs you any more money. Um, you know, for example, you have to get your waste collected anyway. I know the supplier, you know, I'm talking about mainly in London because that's where my sort of background is, although I'm now based in Scotland. You know, in London, the main supplier to collect recycling is cheaper if, you know, it's cheaper than what was traditionally the waste collector back in the day um you know so that will cost you less money it's also based on quantity so if you produce less waste it will cost you less money to have it taken away so there's an incentive there to actually produce less in the first place um you know if you're going to provide a water cooler and ask people to bring their bottles you shouldn't really be paying your caterer for water as well so there's a cost saving there that will offset what you need to pay out for you know um, a water cooler but you know these are small fry things things like not printing call sheets you know we don't put a line in the budget for paper but if we did we wouldn't be spending it if you're not printing yeah. it you're not spending it you know and associated and to, toner that, you know the, like for example call sheets um mm-hmm. we were discussing this last last week it's this is stuff that i have no idea and there's probably an awful lot of our listeners that don't that what is it i mean what is a call sheet and like how many pages is a call sheet is it one page is it 10 pages what so they they broadly fall into two categories if your sheet's more than a day long um, you tend to do a sort of production booklet, which can be up to sort of 10 pages. Um, and, you know, there was a trend for printing these out in full. There then became a trend to sort of do them as a little A5 book. Um, 
and really in the last few years they don't really get printed anymore um as far as i as far as i'm aware they probably do somewhere um but they can either so they either sort of fall into this booklet category which obviously just is now a pdf booklet or they might be a one page what we call a daily call sheet which would just have your basic info sort of everyone's phone number the call time of when you need to be at the location, you know, where that location is, the sort of vital details, whereas the longer one might have a list of every single item of kit that you've hired that you're bringing onto set. Mm. So those are sort of the two, two main things, but we'd also print storyboards, we'd print scripts, um, we might print risk assessments or movement orders when we need to move locations. So there's quite a lot of printing involved. So having people sort of move over to looking at that digitally has been a, quite a big shift. I mean, I guess all of these things that we're talking about that don't really cost much money are all really basic things and they're really centered around waste reduction. So we're not really talking about the bigger picture things, sort of like reducing travel, reducing energy use. Those are sort of, those are the bigger shift things that haven't really been mastered yet. I think for a variety of reasons. Um, one is that we don't have the technology necessarily. You know, for example, we can switch to low energy lighting. That technology is there. That will reduce cost of, um, you know, electricity units in the studio or the amount of generator power that we need. But there's not really, there's not really a strong understanding, certainly from production, about if you like generator maths. So how how generators work, how much power they need to draw, how much you can have on at one one time and the power that you need to power it. So there's we're we're really driven by aesthetics in terms of lighting choices in most cases you know the sort of energy aspect is secondary because essentially you can get as big a generator as you need that isn't really um there isn't really a limitation in power in most cases on set i mean obviously the bigger the generator the more money they probably are going to be and the more more fuel you're going to pay but that's not really a consideration for anyone choosing lighting and i think that's partially because production don't understand enough about the implications to push back on the lighting list that we might be being given mm. um and the other thing there is that the newer technology the led technology tends to be more expensive to hire so sometimes people ask to reduce lists or reduce costs and those things are quite often the first to go mm. because they're more expensive to hire but there isn't really an understanding about how they might save you money on the other end in terms of generator size or units at the studio so there's kind of a a disconnect between those two departments that the sort of an education piece missing um and the other thing is that if we want to bring in cleaner technology so there's a company in canada for example that have worked on uh you know relatively small generator units that are essentially big batteries that you can bring on set so you would charge them up um you know in your office or even at a location and then you can use them on set um to power what you've got there but they're quite small they don't really compare to the size of generators that we would bring in um for a sort of commercial size tv ad shoot if you like so right. you know either we work with much reduced power needs or they might power other smaller elements of the shoot such as the video village where the clients might sit or perhaps the sort of tea table area or you know hair and makeup sort of within one room or something like that so although it's a step in the right direction it's really exciting they don't quite go to the extent that we need yet or the lighting hasn't sort of come down low enough that we can sort of meet in the middle. Mm. So there's a kind of, that's another one, um, you know, in terms of switching to green energy, there's a program that BAFTA and Albert have been running where you can uh, switch to green energy and there's kind of a move to collectively join forces to get cheaper tariffs. And that's really great, but a lot of people are tied into contracts or, you know, they're in buildings where they don't have the control over it or they're in such a big company that the sort 
facilities manager is another part that they're not sort of involved in. So it's getting to the right people and sort of getting in at the right time to sort of make those switches. So there's lots of things that could happen, but I think there's some education needed and a sort of general push from the industry, you know, and even sort of a, a steering from, you know, trade bodies in terms of this is how we'd like you to to sort of act and to conduct your business going forward or from this date or whatever it might be um, to try and push things forward a bit quicker. Cause it's really it feels like there's very little sort of, I guess people don't want to be told what to do, but at the same time, sometimes it does help push things in the right direction, especially when the support is there to be able to make these changes. I think it's one thing to say, you should be doing X, Y, and Z, but if you know the supplier or the service or whatever it is doesn't exist, it's obviously very difficult for people to do. But if we can show people how to do things and tell them they have to, they're obviously much more likely to be successful. So, you know, there are a few key things I think that are currently missing um, that sort of either need to be improved upon or or talked more widely about. And add green, really. I mean, we've we've kind of jumped straight in at what it is that needs to be done with on production and on um, sites for filming. But Ad Green is you're trying to green up that area, aren't you? You've got huge amounts of resources that's on the Ad Green websites of how people can understand what it is that they can do and how they can do it and the sort of things to. Um, you've got checklists and. You've got everything on there, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. And I think from the beginning, it was very much, we don't, you know, I am just me. And although there are people that sort of support me and add green and, and sort of test things out on set, you know, I am just me. And I'm not in a position to be able to sort of come on your shoot or, you know, advise you in your office. So for me, it was very much about empowering other people to do what they could, you know, with a bit of help online um so there was also very much about kind of giving people those tools to do that so that i didn't need to kind of get involved all the time and essentially you know a lot of this stuff's really simple you know people sort of say oh can you come and be our green consultant and i think well how hard is it just to book a different, <laughs> you know, a different waste service it's not that difficult or to not print i mean do you want me to stand next to you and just sort of move you know in the nicest possible way and i appreciate that people want to make that change but really I just want them to make it themselves yeah it's possible you know because of the fact that those bigger piece items aren't necessarily that doable yet the things that are left are really simple mm. um you know so when people sort of say oh yeah we've got a, a green runner or we've got a green consultant I mean green runners I think why aren't all runners green and and what what does it mean to be green I mean you know essentially it's someone to stand next to the bins and make sure people are putting the recycling in the right one you know because beyond that this poor person is the runner and no offense to the runner, but they're, you know, they are. So what does a, what does a runner do? Well, a runner essentially is, how to say this, they're invaluable people to have on set, but they, in terms of authority, you know, they're sort of the bottom of the ladder. So to suggest that someone can be a runner and sort of transform the set is, is kind of, I, I don't kind of buy it personally because it feels like you're giving someone an impossible task. I mean, you know, they don't have the authority to change suppliers. They're on set just for that one day. They don't do any, you know, sort of pre-production normally. So they are at the mercy of whatever's been predetermined by production. Um, but, you know, they'll help with anything, really. They might 
go on a we call it, you know, going on a run to the supermarket. If, you know, there's, there's something that's urgently needed, they might just stand around and block a door so people don't walk through where you're filming. You know, they can be doing sort of anything, really running to grab a printout if it's needed, you know, setting up sort of tables and chairs for lunch. It can be anything. But essentially, they are there to kind of support the, um, the AD team, the assistant director's team, and, and production. And that's kind of their, their job um so yeah so they are sort of not in the best position to i can see where you're coming from yeah it needs to be incorporated across the whole culture of 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 a shoot i would imagine um yeah if you look at it like a small business where i expect the ceo or the managing director or the senior management senior leadership team to be taking control and going why we as an organization are going to become more environmental the same would happen in a shoot i would hazard a guess it, it does. And, it, you know, there's sort of several ways it can happen. And, you know, a lot of production companies are based on freelance teams. So in that case, it's about either the freelance producer is sort of a person who, who does this all the time. They have a team around them that they will bring on as freelancers who are sort of used to acting in this way. And they will dictate down to their heads of department who will then dictate down to their, their team. So, you know, you might sort of say to the DP, or, you know, the, the lighting cameraman, you know, can you make sure you sort of incorporate a certain amount of low energy lighting on this? We're looking to sort of try and, you know, not have a generator or just use local power if we can. Or, you know, we don't want to use consumables. So we use things like polystyrene. We use um, cellophane gels. You know, all of that stuff just goes in the bin afterwards. You know, I might be saying to the art department, can you factor into your set build how we're going to take this apart and reuse the materials? And, you know, can you allow for that in your budget? And all those sorts of things. So that's sort of one way it can happen. And that's certainly what I'd like to see more of. And it, and it definitely is happening. And the other aspect is the actual company heads to sort of say, look, this is how we want to run our shoots from now on. And this is how we want you to do it. You know, and this is how we're going to support you doing it. And there are companies doing that, not as many as I'd like, but you know, I do get those kinds of emails as well as can you come and be our, you know, green person on set, you know, so that is really nice. And, the, and those are the ones I prefer because, that has the longevity and, you know, has more sort of take up and more, more sort of gravitas, I guess, amongst employees, because, you know, if it's coming from the top, that's what we, that's what we really need to see. And other people would argue that actually coming from the top means it coming from the ad agency or even the client. So the, you know, the stories I like best are when the client has sort of said to the agency, we want this to be. Thank you very much for listening to the Green Element podcast. We really value your opinion and we're wondering if you could take part in a survey that helps make this podcast better, please. www.greenelement.co.uk podcast survey. I hope you enjoy this episode. And other people would argue that actually coming from the top means it coming from the ad agency or even the client. So the, you know, the stories I like best are when the client has sort of said to the agency, we want this to be, you know, sustainable in whatever way the agency has said, okay, great. We'll take that on board. And they would pass that down to the production company. And that's all factored in from the beginning. You know, it might be that the clients, I don't know, promoting some new, let's say drink. I mean, I've heard, I've heard stories and you now I've heard a story about, you know, sort of smashing a whole load of vegetables just crazy things where no one thought why don't we compost that waste or you know and it's sort of massive quantities and you, know, you might see on the screen it looks like sort of 10 tomatoes but they've done that 10 times you know 
or yeah. you, know, you know bigger scales than that so you know the sort of people are also sort of coming up with ideas where things aren't factored in or we're talking about you know shooting in other countries because the weather's better when we could shoot here if the script was slightly changed you know so there's there's lots of sort of considerations to take in that really can come from the client and the agency and sort of the creative script stage before it even gets to being actually made. So, you know, really all those sort of different cogs need to need to work together to, to reduce it right from the start. And the other problem we have is that even if that was all done, there's no, re, there's no way to kind of really measure things at the moment. And the other problem we've got is even if there was, to benchmark one ad against another or one production against another is almost impossible because they aren't start, it's not a level playing field. They're not starting from the same point. They're all different creatively. Um, you know, they have different budgets, different amounts of people on set. So is there a way that you could normalize that data? So um, bringing it all down to a common denominator? I think, well, personally, I think carbon should be linked to money in our world of budgets. And that's kind of what I'm looking to develop where I'm working at the moment and that would be something sort of for the autumn time for me personally um I mean I think you can certainly benchmark you know is it a car job is it a food job the things where you might bring in more resources or where you might have more waste and you can sort of broadly categorize I mean that's what BAFTA have done with with uh, their Albert project and Albert have um, an online calculator where they will take data from tv productions so you know programs and they will sort of categorize into factual documentary um overseas project you know drama that sort of thing so they can kind of look at that and break it down to a broadcast half hour as a kind of unit and so we would probably do the same with you know broadcast 30 seconds and then be able to break it down into you know was it overseas was it a car job was it food was it you know so we can sort of see what the benchmarks are or the sort of averages to sort of then give us you know working target or you know target for reduction I mean if we don't know where we're at then we can't really work out reducing it and and then think about what that reduction looks like in real terms you know is that taking one person off the shoot or is that shooting in the UK instead of South Africa so you know it's sort of helping I think the education is is one of the biggest points and it's one of the hardest things to do because you know that there's not really there are teaching sort of you know courses and stuff and, and actually Albert are working a lot with some of the universities that do those we have a course um, within advertising production that we teach on every year but it's you know the lower end of production um, which isn't to say it's a bad thing you know they're sort of they're going to be the producers of the future but in terms of exposure it's quite small um, so you know they're freelance they're quite transient Oh. It's suddenly going um it's like the internet connection suddenly going i don't know what's going on are you okay can you repeat that one the internet connections i think i think is just suddenly just dropping off i don't know what's going on oh oh you're back oh there you go um <laughs> oh, can you hear me? the internet connection yeah. seems to have just gone um <laughs> yeah i had a little doing, moment just stories of doing it all life i was wondering <laughs> so have you um have you always worked in advertising i mean is that has that been your career since and I have and what got you into sustainability and the environment what would you say your tipping point was what kind of I so I had always worked in advertising I left uni and did an internship where I was working at a music company and I worked there for a year um, in the US and then I came back and worked at a music company in London and sort of realized that I was really looking at one small part of the process you know we were doing music for music tv ads and realized there's a whole world beyond that so kind of then started to make moves to move across to production which i did 
Um, I was in-house for a while and then became a freelancer. And really the tipping point was just the amount of waste I was seeing at the end of the day. And I'd always been, my dad used to call me uh, Sting's right-hand man when I was growing up. Like he, I had this sort of, this um, sort of, uh, what do you call it? You know, people, people, I guess, knew me in my family as the one who would take the bottle out of the rubbish and put it in the, put in the recycling, you know. Um, I was that person and I was about six. Um, so I think that was, you know, that was always kind of on my mind. I always said I was going to be a vegetarian except on Sundays. I was going to ride my bike everywhere. Um, it's partially true. But um, so, yeah, seeing the waste on set was really what kind of tipped me over the edge. And I was like, either I kind of do something about it or see what I could do. Or I probably have to just go and do something else where I, I'm not so, it's not so in my face. Um, and actually, I remember sort of first coming up with, you know, I had a sort of like, almost like kind of an explosion. It, it, all these notes came out of me at once. And I remember I sat on the tube going to my friend and I was like, maybe I could do this. Maybe it could be that. But at the time, I kind of had just started freelancing. I was quite unsure about, at the time, what felt like rocking the boat and sort of making myself known as this person who was probably going to annoy people by asking them to do stuff they didn't normally do. So I actually kind of shelved it in my mind for probably another six months until I was on holiday and kind of thought, okay, and now I need to kind of do this. I can't kind of put it off any longer. Um, and I'd read about Albert while I was on holiday. Went to go meet them at BAFTA when I got back. And that sort of, that sort of started it for me. And I kind of saw what they had done. And I was like, oh, this is, this is what we could do. And I mean, I'm still striving for it to be what they're doing. It's not. But, you know, we're sort of, we're a lot closer than we were. Um, but yeah, I think that was sort of the, that was the tipping point for me. It was seeing, you know, seeing the physical waste and everyone's reaction and kind of sort of behavior around that aspect. And then, you know, once you start looking, you kind of can't unsee it. And then you start digging deeper and you realize there are other problems and other things. And then you find out, you know, how much we're contributing. And you're like, okay, this is terrible. And, you know, it sort of goes from there and sort of, you know, spirals out of control. And then you're awake at three in the morning sort of trying to work out how the, uh, you know, how the legal system works around sustainability in the UK. And, you know, you sort of realize you've, you've gone off on a tangent, but, you know, it's all, it's all connected. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how it started. <laughs> so how, I mean, how do you think you can influence change through Ad Green? Like what, what is it that you want to try and achieve? Because when talking to you, you are very well connected. You've, you know a lot of leaders and a lot of senior people in your industry. And um, you've been in your industry for a, for a while now. Um, and so what, what is it that you think, how can we influence change? What is it that you... I think for me, the problem is... I'm not even sure what the sort of pinpoint issue is, but, you know, I've had meetings with, with heads of various trade bodies in the industry, those that represent production agencies, um, the brands themselves that are making the work. And uh, there seems to be a lot of, I don't want to sort of talk badly of anyone, but there, there's always kind of a flavor of the month cause. Um, and I know it sounds bad to even say that. And, you know, in this day and age, I know your words can be really misconstrued and I don't mean it in a, in a negative way, but, sustainability hasn't been that flavor of the month yet and I don't know why um and I wonder in part if it's because as far as they're concerned something is being done in that ad green exists um and I have made inroads to um taking it a step further getting funding so that we can become an organization that looks a bit more like what BAFTA's doing and we have a calculator and we educate people about carbon and we do all these things um but for whatever reason every sort of incarnation of how I see that happening has been kind of pass up the chain so 
you know, production was very much like, oh, this should be an agency sort of thing. Agencies were sort of saying, oh, this should be a brand thing. And the brands themselves were sort of like, this sounds great. And then when it came to the current, you know, no one, no one replies to you. So it is quite difficult. And I think the lack of, you know, I do think brands have bigger fish to fry in some ways. You know, a lot of them are dealing with massive supply chains, with big logistical sort of things that they're sort of looking into first. Relatively speaking, I think production of their advertising is quite small in terms of the bigger picture. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be looked at. But so I think the, the focus from brands isn't necessarily there f- maybe for that reason. Um, I think there's a perception that it costs more money. Although I've already said it doesn't have to in its current incarnation. Um, and I think there's just a general, I think it's fair to say that advertising is a little bit rogue it's not quite so, the production side is not quite so regulated, I guess. And there isn't sort of that general sense of this is how it has to be done. And there isn't a sort of central point that, you know, that every sort of production needs to pass through that is a good sort of check and measure point. Um, you know, so that there's quite a, in terms of how it's monitored, I guess, and that's through no one's fault and it's not a sort of intentional way but it's just it's kind of evolved almost with everyone doing their own sort of thing in their own pockets of production world um although it is also a very small and kind of close-knit community so it's quite it's quite a kind of hard one to explain and I guess I don't 100% know why it hasn't been sort of taken on board I think you know I think really it comes down to cost essentially I was asking for money for something that people don't see as a big issue or an important issue Mm. for whatever reason and so at the moment you know that the the money that I wanted has not been forthcoming so it it is difficult and I, I think there is a reluctance from the trade bodies to kind of ask for more from their members and to sort of rock those boats and you know at a time when people's budgets are always going down I mean no one ever says oh my budget went up this year like no one no one said that (laughs) you know so how do they find extra money to cover something that you know essentially they don't have to do because the law isn't telling them they have to do it so you know and I think as much as we all want people to to want to do it because it's the right thing to do people aren't there yet which is a real shame but they're not um so yeah, I wish I had the answer. Because, I mean, if I did, I'd be doing it. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like? What would you like our listeners to do um, to be more sustainable on the back of this podcast? I guess it's about doing what you can do and the things that you can't yet do for whatever reason. It's really about working out why you can't do them. And I put myself on the spot here because I one of the best things I've ever seen was Unilever's five levers of change and I'm going to now try and remember what the five things are but you go and look it up it's on YouTube but you know there are ways to make things uh make things done and and it's about breaking down the barriers that that are an issue to getting them done so if you think oh we can't do this because X, Y and Z it's about thinking why can't we do that you know and and I think a lot of it is about telling people and telling people why um you know I've heard stories about people sort of say oh we tried that recycling thing we put some bins in the studio and no one did it and I sort of said okay well did you you know it was in a studio I said did you put any signs on the bins did you tell your productions that were coming in that you'd put the bins out and did you tell them to tell their crew what you'd done and you know which thing is when and which thing and, and they're sort of like oh no we didn't do any of that you know, you know, did you impose a fine if they get it wrong? No. Okay. So, you know, there's, you know, so much of it comes down to telling people what you expect of them and what the consequences of not doing it are, whether that's personally or just sort of in a more general sense. But, you know, there's sort of a, people have ideas, you know, they get stuck in their ways and, and they think people can't change, but they absolutely can, but you have to make it as easy as possible for them. So I think that's what I would. Hi. You keep on disappearing. <laughs> Where did I get to? Um, you actually finished. You actually oh. literally finished and then it just went, it went off. 
Um, <laughs> Bing bonged. Yeah. But um, like, I mean, what's your what's your website, and where where can we hear more, um, read more about um, what you're doing, and yeah, how can we so, learn more? So the website address is um, www. adgreen, which is A D for advertising, and then the word green hyphen APA dot net. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, which are all at adgreenAPA. Uh, so Brilliant. they're the kind of best places for the updates. We have a couple of events throughout the year as well. So if you join our mailing list, you'll get an invite to those. They are kind of free drinks, networking type events. And we bring in flyers to talk about the issues of the day within making your production more sustainable. Um, so yeah, that's where you can hear more. Brilliant. Joe. thank you so much for today. And thank you for taking no time problem. out of your busy schedule and talk to us about AdGreen and what it is that you're up to and how you're greening up the advertising world. No problem. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Cheers, Joe. Thank you. All right. Speak to you later. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. We created this podcast for you. So we'd really appreciate any feedback you want to give us. You can do that by rating and reviewing on your favourite podcast or for iTunes, visit www.greenelement.co.uk forward slash Apple. If you'd like to keep in touch, then we invite you to join our free Facebook community, which is everything to do with sustainable and ethical business. Lots of daily conversations, themes and great ideas. A really great place to work and network with like-minded individuals. If you open Facebook and search for The Green Element, hit the group search function, we will let you right in. All of the show notes, any links, any references to the, on this podcast will be featured on our website, greenelement.co.uk. As a special thank you for listening, please head over to www.greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018 and you can pick up a free guide on how to green up and environmentalise your business or organisation. That's greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018. Finally, I would like to thank Ben Chatwin for writing the fantastic opening music. He is an amazing artist with a phenomenal following. It was a privilege he said yes to even write it for us. We look forward to seeing you next week and hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>